0: I read once um, some story by a teacher of uh, a conversation she had with a student, and the student said, "Uh, since I started meditating, I never wait anymore. So when we think we're waiting for something to happen, it's just being here, being present, There's a paradox in spiritual teachings. Uh, There are all these teachings about the path and the the way to practice and what, what can and may and is supposed to happen when we practice. And the paradox is that. There really is no path. Uh, You're already there. You're already perfect. You're already complete. There's nothing that any of us needs to get or needs to become that we don't, that we not already are. And that that idea of somehow I need to get something or I need to become something other than what I am is uh, is very pervasive in spiritual practice. Um, and uh, again and again, you know, I've discovered, you know, it's it's not becoming something; it's discovering who I truly am what is my true being my true heart there's a a poem by Antonio Machado Uh, he's a 19th century Spanish poet Uh, this is an excerpt from one of his poems wayfarer the only way is your footsteps there is no other wayfarer there is no way you make the way by walking as you go you make the way and stopping to look behind you see the path that your feet will never travel again wayfarer There is no way, only foam trails to the sea. And now the paradox is that I'm going to give you some meditation instructions. (laughs) And, And so as I give you this, you know, these are markers. These are guidelines. These are ways that you can... Investigate in your experience to discover the, what's going on, and and work with it. But really, it doesn't have to conform exactly. You know, you, it's not about getting it right exactly as it's happening, uh, just as it's being described, what you read or and what you hear. Just receive the teachings in that in this way, because really. In this journey, each one of us becomes our own teacher. We really, there's, there's a uh, meditation practice is is really uh, something that um, it's a it's a journey, it's a it's a discovery, it's a it's a transformative process, and and then we also discover that we're not doing it; it's just happening. So that's a view. So. So last night I talked about samatha practice Tranquility practice Sometimes it's called concentration practice So it's, it's all in that uh, Kind of a family of practices That collect the mind So the untrained mind The Buddha talked a lot about the untrained disciple The untrained mind The untrained mind tends to be scattered um, tends to be uh, habit bound so there are we have habits of uh, judgment of of anger of desire of fear um, habits of reactivity that you know when something happens you know a whole story kind of falls into our mind about you know which is conditioned from our previous experiences, our upbringing, our experiences as we were growing up and as an adult. And so in samatha practice, we're just uh we're just helping the mind to calm down and come back to this moment in in such simplicity, you know, can I can I simply be with this breath? when I practice samatha practice, I'm not saying I'm going to be with every breath for the whole 30 or 45 minutes sitting, whatever I'm doing. I'm saying, can I just be with this breath? And if I wasn't attentive and present with the last breath, I don't worry about that. You know, that's, I can't do anything about that. Just this breath. So I keep coming home. We keep coming home to the body. We keep coming home to the breath. And so, in in doing this practice, uh, and it's you know, as I said, it's a wonderful practice because the mind learns to let go. You know, all of this, these dramas that we create in the mind, the stories, you know of. You know, he said that to me and she did this to me and you know, I should have said that and next time I'm gonna do this, uh, all of these dramas, you know, just let it go. Like it's not now, it's not here. Can I just be so simple in this moment as to be with the breath? And as we collect the mind and allow the mind to sink into the breath, there's a um, there's a letting go. There's a uh, what's called a, um, a a suppression, not a repression, but a suppression of all the agitation of the mind, all the nervousness, the you know what are called the afflictive emotions, you know, fear, jealousy, desire, anger, judgment, all of these things. Just because the mind gets so... The attention gets so filled with the breath that there's really no room for these things Mm. to... uh, to kind of be experienced and felt. And they're painful experiences. Uh, All of these... They're called afflictive emotions because they feel like they're afflicting us. They're, they're, They're difficult. And so... So just... Just that simplicity of coming back, and um, and and learning to be here, learning to be present. So, these in uh, in Buddhist practice, uh, they're called jhanas, which means absorption. The mind becomes absorbed, and there's a whole train of pra- tra- uh, school of practices or. Um, Family of practices that are done to just to deepen in absorption practice, and and actually these absorption practices are not particularly Buddhist. You know, they're uh, you know they are Buddhist, but they're not uh, they're not uh, only Buddhist. There are many many traditions. They existed uh, before the Buddha taught. Um, <coughs> What we are developing in in vipassana, our insight practice, is what we call momentary concentration. So it's just the capacity to stay with our present moment experience, moment by moment, as it's unfolding. So in this moment, you know, what is you know, what does the breath feel like? In this moment, what does the breath feel like? And then as we develop that capacity, as the mind becomes collected enough to not go off for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, drifting, fantasizing, you know, playing out stories, but we develop the capacity to, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about perfection, but to be present here, you know, more than we are away, let's put it that way, so that we catch ourselves, we notice when the mind is drifting off, you know, and we bring it back. And then, and then it opens up in a natural way to other, other experiences that are flowing into awareness. So sounds, body sensations, Emotions noticing the arising of thought. <coughs> so when we now thought, thought is, um, you know, something that when we give our attention to when we bring mindfulness to it it tends to actually dissolve because it's, it's it, it arises thought thought thinks itself uh, and what I mean by that is it arises we don't create we don't make ourselves think something We we don't choose that we're going to think about something. A thought comes up. Now you might say, well, I you know I choose, I choose that I'm going to think about um, you know what I need to teach tomorrow. Well, that thought came up <laughs> that I need to think about that because I'm aware that tomorrow I'm going to be teaching. So 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 we we begin to recognize that that um, the experiences that we identify with so strongly and that we create such a strong sense of self about are arising w- without our control. We say, in Buddhist teaching, we say they're arising selflessly. They're simply coming up because of causes and conditions. The causes and conditions are could be our body chemistry, could be something we ate, it could be the level of fatigue we feel, it could be our upbringing, our uh, our inculturation, or whatever the word is, our the. The way we're conditioned by society, many many causes and conditions that create how we feel and think. So, so this is really why it's so important. To, you know, what, last night and today, I've, I've been talking about the stories the stories that we hold on to, you know? And, and so, you know, the question might be coming up, what's so terrible about stories? Stories are, you know, stories can be important. Stories can be, um, that give a sense of who I am. And, and it's true, stories, stories are not bad in themselves. Uh, you know, so I'm not saying that, that all stories are bad and that, you know, you should never listen to a story or think about a story. Stories... But stories are limiting. The problem is when we believe our stories. So, so if... If I were to tell you something about my childhood for example you know so very often we're we're asked you know so you know tell me something about yourself you know and we may have this story about our family we may have a story about you know our marriage or a relationship or something we experienced <clears throat> and the story is a framework in which we interpret what we experience our interpretations can change as we, as we have new experiences, as we mature, as we deepen, as we perhaps we become more compassionate, more understanding. You know, I remember having a story about my childhood, and then as I became a parent... And as I deepened and became more, a more compassionate person, my story changed and became more accepting and compassionate as to what I experienced in my, in my life growing up. And I realized that, um, yeah, my parents too had, you know, uh, their suffering and their limitations, and, and so, so that changed my story. So when we believe our stories, that's what limits us, you know. And if we can hold our stories lightly, and and say that's you know that's an interpretation, and then maybe eventually we can recognize that you know uh, any story is just an interpretation. <clears throat> so stories. Um, we attach stories to all kinds of things we attach stories to body sensations you know we attach stories to a sensation of hunger so i feel hungry and then you know maybe i think oh i feel hungry you know oh my blood sugar's going to drop you know i'm going to not going to feel well you know projecting into the future uh, so we attach stories of anxiety Around you know, a little simple sensation. Uh, So so it's, so just, that's why we, we train the mind to come back to the present moment, to come back to just the simplicity of, you know, what is this sensation? So in Vipassana practice, you know, we're coming back to the breath, and we're coming back to body sensations, just whatever is in the forefront, whatever is in the forefront of our um, awareness, because in this momentary concentration, you know, we're not continually going off into stories, we're not continually going into past and future, we're staying present with the sensation, and we're seeing that it's just arising, You're seeing it's just coming up. You know, maybe an uncomfortable sensation, maybe a feeling of joy, maybe appreciation, you know, all kinds of things come up. You know, the sounds of a bird come into the mind. So then there's an interpretation, a bird. But we can, when we're mindful, we can just stay with, you know, that pure quality of sound and perhaps, you know, then the heart connects with that sound, it's, it's, it's moving, it's beautiful, it's alive. We feel a part of that life. All of this can happen, and it, these are very beautiful um, kinds of experiences that come up in when we're being mindful. So, so we're mindful of what's coming up in each moment. Uh, um, so, so as we as we move into mindfulness, often what happens is, you know, as we move into more and more into a deeper mindfulness and feeling in the body, uh, you know, what's coming up in each moment, we may open to. Um, an emotion that has been repressed, you know, pushed away, turned away from. So sometimes emotions come up like uh, grief or um, uh, fear, or uh, we notice the habits of the mind of judging, you know, like I. I had uh, an experience once on a meditation retreat. You know, as, the, as, as my mind became more quiet and I began to see the movements of the mind, and I, I realized my mind is always judging. It's always judging. Judging how people are doing walking meditation, judging how people are eating, how they're dressed, judging myself. Most of all, I realized that later, that was, that was uh, hard to see how hard I was on myself, and and it was painful to see how much the mind was judging. You know, really painful because it it was totally in contradiction to my self image. You know, my self image was, you know, I'm I'm a nice person. I don't judge. But there was the mind judging, and we have these habits of mind that develop. You know, um, they develop because it's the best way we could figure out how to take care of ourselves and how to feel okay. And sometimes they're unskillful, but it's the best we can do. And so when we realize that it's painful and that it's unskillful, we can, you know, begin to let it go and... Begin to develop new skills, like a cultivating loving kindness, cultivating a, a heart of friendship for ourselves and toward others, and wishing ourselves well, wishing others well. <clears throat> so, um, so, so when we bring mindfulness to these experiences that are coming up moment by moment, whether they are pleasant or unpleasant, or whether they are appreciating the beauty of a bird song, or or whether they are feeling the pain of an afflictive emotion. (coughs) Excuse me. When we bring our mindful, Attention to this experience and we stay with it instead of going into the story but we just feel what's happening in the body. I, I really emphasize stay with the body, you know, be present in the body. We begin to see it's not something solid. It's not something solid. It's not something that uh you know, for example, judgment. It's something that, you know, arises. It rises selflessly. And it it has a quality of energy. And then as we give it space to be known, that mindful space to be known, to be received, not pushed away, not turned away from, but just be there with it without... Reacting, not judging ourselves. And we notice that there is a, a continuum, that it's a continuum, it's a process, and that it moves. Judgment arises and then moves through. Anger arises, moves through. Desire arises, moves through. Uh, It can be helpful in the beginning of practice to, as the mind recognizes, oh, that's desire. The word desire might come into the mind. So labels can can be helpful as a kind of an interim practice when the mind is identified with the desire. (laughs) Once I was on retreat, and and, uh, it was, you know, the sitting was coming, it was toward the end, uh, and uh, and I, a a thought came into the mind of, you know, I'm gonna go into the kitchen after this sitting and I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. And then the mind was, you know, oh, what kind of tea should I have? You. you know, should it be, uh, do I want Earl Grey, or do I want uh, a green tea? Uh, well, maybe Earl Grey with a little milk and honey. And the mind was just, you know, in this desire fantasy. And then there was this leaning you know, I was, it was like my mind was leaning out of the hall, going down to the kitchen. And, you know, and then there was this suffering of being in the sitting. You know, all of a sudden suffering arrived. I didn't want to be in the sitting anymore. I didn't want to be where I was. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to get something, get an experience. And, and that, there was the recognition, oh, That's desire. That's desire. And it's painful. (coughs) It's painful because we're wanting something that we don't have. So sometimes when we have desire, we, we, we muster all our energies to getting what we want. Right? And so then we're driven by desire. We're driven by desire. And we don't recognize the pain of it. But when we just give ourselves the space to know well that's desire not judging ourselves, it's not bad you know, desire is absolutely a natural, normal thing to arise but but to learn to not be driven by it not to jump up and make a cup of tea or whatever it is but just be the space of stillness in which that desire is known. And then we can see the arising and the passing away. And we say and we and we get it. We say, you know, ah oh, I see that that desire doesn't last forever. It's just a momentary thing. It arises. It may hang around for a little while. But if I don't feed it with a story or feed it by acting on it right away you know it actually can pass away and and that insight into the impermanence of things is is key just as the insight into the selflessness of the arising is very key so so these are the key practices of insight meditation or vipassana And so we we begin by the practice of samatha, just really collecting the mind. But even the the object that we use for our samatha practice, the breath, has this uh, this kind of uh, the (coughs) very uh, smooth and very easy lead into practice of. Vipassana, or insight, because the breath itself is a dynamic thing. The breath itself is changing. It's always changing. It's not only changing from in to out, you know, and then there are pauses, but it's also in the duration of a single in-breath or a single out-breath. You know, it's got a texture. It, moves, it's, it's, it, it, it it's a flow of experience. So... Um, so I, I encourage you now to work with uh, the samatha and the vipassana practice. If, you know, if the mind, if you find the mind is full of thoughts, um, then, you know, stay with the samatha, you know, just feeling the breath. And, and then as the mind becomes a bit more quiet and you're noticing the thoughts, uh, you know, more, more quickly, and you're noticing, We know, when we know, noticing our thoughts and the mind becomes more quiet, we also notice that there are spaces between the thoughts where the mind is quiet and there's actually no thought. And those spaces between the thoughts are really um, important to notice because in that space between thoughts, there's just presence. Just awareness, openness. So, um, so that's also something to to recognize. So, if you want to take a moment just to stand up um, before you take your posture, feel welcome to do that, and then we're going to sit. Thank you for listening.